0: when Andrew first promoed that video for me, I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Wasn't that? I got one complaint. He's got this shot of me in there where I'm like, because we always look at ourselves, right? He's got this shot of me in there where I'm like, ooh. Like, just like, kills me, man, every time. You know, this past, uh, this past winter, we went through this amazing New Testament letter called Galatians, and so many of you um, just just talked to me about how you were seeing it differently and even seeing God differently and seeing yourself and your relationship with God differently about, uh, because of it. And, and we talked so much this past winter about how Galatians is all about the gospel. Fundamentally, it's about the gospel. And the gospel is fundamentally about what God has done for you through Christ, not about what you do. But peppered throughout, you may have seen this, was the Holy Spirit. Paul will write things in Galatians like this. That you receive the Holy Spirit because you believe the gospel. He'll he'll write things like this, that the promise of the Holy Spirit is what fundamentally moves us and guides us and drives us and is the hope to which we yearn. He'll say things like this, that the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, is sent into our hearts. And because of that, we have an intimate relationship with God. Paul will write it like this, that we cry out, Abba, Father, Father not referring to a 70's disco band, but using that Aramaic word that was the intimate language of Jesus for daddy. That because Jesus talked to the father with a word that would be equivalent of dad because of the Holy Spirit, we can too. Paul would write in Galatians about how the Holy Spirit gives us a new birth, a rebirth. If you will, he makes us something new and that we yearn for a righteousness that comes by the spirit of God, not a righteousness of our own making so that the spirit is somehow transformative. Two, as we started to near the end, it started to escalate. And you can go back and read Galatians and, 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 and keep your eye out for some of this thing. You'll see him dancing everywhere where Paul will say, live by the spirit Keep in step with the Spirit, that he's going somewhere and wants you to walk with him, that the Spirit is in conflict with our sinful inclination and sinful selves, but that the Spirit will birth what is called fruit within us. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so he culminates the letter in chapter six saying, live to please the spirit. Live this path of what Paul will call eternal life that starts right now. Galatians is a spirit-saturated book. And hopefully, if you were with us this winter, it may be awakened to hunger in you not only to know more about the Spirit of God, but, but, but to have more of the Spirit of God in you, to be filled with him, to seek him, to identify in him and discern him, to live with him, to, to be able to put into practice what it means to keep in step with him. This is what 1 Corinthians 12 to 15 is about because Galatians is a Holy Spirit-saturated book, 1 Corinthians is two. And in this, this specific section that we're gonna be looking at, these next six weeks, we're gonna be springboarding from where Galatians left us. Learning what Paul writes about the hows of the Spirit. How we get him, how he operates, how he works. And we're going to see some of these misconceptions he comes slamming against in the process. Because the biggest misconception that I've seen, especially among Christians, including here at Fellowship of Faith, is that people view the spirit of God as something given individually. How does the spirit come to me? How does the Spirit work in me? What are my spiritual gifts? What is he calling me to do? As though the main work of the Spirit is in an individual kind of relationship. But 1 Corinthians 12 to 15 is gonna blow that out of the water because what if the primary way the Spirit of God works is not individually, but collectively? Collectively. And what if to be in step with the Spirit means something more than just doing my own thing and going my own way as I sense he's leading, but something more communally? And what if the fullness of the Spirit cannot be reached or achieved apart from the body? These are things I'd like you to keep in mind as we jump into this next section of the Bible together. So let's jump into it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the opening line. Now about spiritual things, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be ignorant. Paul writes to him. Now about spiritual things, I'm going to talk to you about spiritual things. A lot of your translations will have the word gifts, but I like this way of putting it better. I think it's more accurate, and I think it's more true to what Paul is getting at, even though he'll get into the subject of gifts. Very quickly, Paul comes to this part of the letter and says, now about spiritual things. He's been doing this throughout. You can read 1 Corinthians on your own. And you're gonna see this phrase pop up again again. Now about, now about, now about, now about. It's like he's got this laundry list of Problems questions and issues that these Corinthian Christians are facing. And what Paul is trying to do is go one after another, after another, after another. And now he comes to something that I suspect many of us seem as being foundational or substantive to them all. Now let's talk about the spiritual stuff. Now let's talk about spiritual things. Now let's talk about what it means to be spiritual people. Most of my conversations today, I find most people want to be spiritual, are interested in spiritual things, pride themselves even on being spiritual. It's popular to be spiritual today. I don't always remember it being that way. I was born in the 70s, remember that much of it, grew up in the 80s, certainly the 90s. And in the 70s and 80s in particular, if you said you were spiritual, people looked at you weird. Now, those of you in the younger generations here, you're just going to have to take my word for this. But those of you who are my age and older, you may remember this. Back in the 70s and 80s, very few people talked about being spiritual. And those who did were considered weird. It was some new age guru... It was some hippie who never forgot or never, like, got to the point of getting beyond the 60s, right? Or or some kind of, like, on-the-fringe kind of person that you didn't know what to deal with. Spiritual people were on TV at 3 a.m., doing their readings and selling their wares. And for those of you who are younger, yes, we used to have to watch TV on its own timeline, But, you know, as I remember it anyway, it was really in the 90s where the language started to change, where people started, normal people, started talking about being spiritual more. You'd start to see it creep into TV and movies where characters would talk about Being spiritual, the importance of spirituality, of investigating the spiritual realm of life, something beyond just what I would call the crass materialism that so marked the 70s and the 80s, so that we find ourselves today immersed and deluged in spirituality of every kind and making. Spirituality is everywhere, and promises of being spiritual are offered by everyone. We do not have to look far, would you agree, to find spiritual wisdom, guidance, or direction. And it can leave us, I think, sometimes groping. What is true? What is not? What is good? What is not? What is, more importantly, of God? And what is not if you've asked questions like these, if you found yourself in that place and even wrestling with it personally, you will identify very well with 1 Corinthians 12 to 15 because these were a group of people who were immersed in all things spiritual. And so Paul writes to them, Let's talk about spiritual things, what it means to be spiritual because I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to be ignorant. And here's what he says. From the message translation, what I want to talk about now is the various ways God's spirit gets worked into our lives. It's complex and often misunderstood, but I want you to be informed and knowledgeable. Remember how you were when you didn't know God. Led from one phony God to another. Never knowing what you were doing, just doing it because everyone else did it. It's different in this life. Meaning a life with God. Because God wants us to use our intelligence to seek to understand as well as we can. For instance... By using your heads, you know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say Jesus be cursed, nor would anyone be inclined to say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be spiritual? How do we know if we're spiritual? I mean, it's not like I've got an LED you know, light bar that I can look at in my shoulder and go, huh, I'm about 60% in the spirit today, and it lights up, and it's like in the amber range, right? <laughs> oh, I've got four bars of the spirit when I stand over here. This, you, you, don't you wish, though, sometimes it was like that? Don't you wish, like, like Lord, how, how deeply am I plunged into your grace? How filled with your grace and your spirit do I happen to be? people throughout history have entertained different ways of trying to determine or ascertain what it means to be spiritual. How do we know when we're in the spirit? Today, I think the most popular way, maybe you would agree, is we kind of judge it by our gut or more appropriately by feeling. How do I feel? Because how I feel must be an indication of how present the Spirit is today. Do you know how many people I've met that jump from church to church looking for a Spirit-filled church that upon further conversation equates to this, I just felt it there. Maybe you're here today because you feel it here. A lot of Sundays people will come up to me Well, some Sundays. (laughs) Man, that message was great. The Spirit was on fire in you. And how did they know that the Spirit was on fire in me? Because they got enthused. Because it felt good. It did something to them emotionally. And therefore, it must be the Spirit of God. How many times have we judged a worship gathering together on the basis of the feeling that it's created because Steve and the band hit the right chords? Do you know it is very easy to create a feeling, to create an emotional response with certain instruments done in a certain way? and Maybe what we're feeling is not the Spirit of God, but our own excitement about something instead. That doesn't make it bad, but it gets very dangerous when we equate the two. I remember a time in my life when God became very, very real to me. God has always been real, but it started coming alive in me. And I remember for the first time when I would pray, I would feel something when I would pray for forgiveness. I would feel that spirit Spirit, wash over me, and feel released from sins with joy in its place. Praise be to God for gifts like these. But then I remember when it didn't happen, and I remember when it didn't happen in a time of crisis. I remember when it happened didn't happen in a time of crisis and emotional agony. Firmly convinced of the opposite opinion that because I didn't feel it, the Holy Spirit wasn't with me. Judging spirituality by your feelings is very shaky ground. Paul will not go there. It is not the way the Bible speaks. And while the Spirit of God might certainly invoke feelings in you, while your life alongside the Spirit of God might result in feeling differently, it is not an LED bar that we can look at or sense to determine how much the Spirit is with us. The problem was no different for these early Corinthians. But they didn't judge it so much by feeling as they did by doing. They didn't judge it so much by feeling as they did by Gifts. Look at what God is doing through him. Look at what God is doing in her. Look at the way she talks. Look at the way he speaks. Look at the way that God is doing powerful things right there in some kind of spectacular sort of way. The Spirit of God must be there. And if I want the Spirit of God to, I've got to feel it or I've got to become just like what is being seen over there. Paul writes, that's the way you used to live. When you didn't know God. Jumping around from, he says, one phony God to another. Other translations, from one idol to another. From one different manifestation or promise of what spirituality is to another chasing spirituality here, chasing spirituality there, chasing the spirit of God and trying to measure by whatever way I can where he actually happens to be. Doing it because that's how everyone else seems to be doing it. But this section of the Bible, which I love and I hope you come to love too, says no, no, that's not it. No, the way that the spirit of God is operating, is much different. He works much differently. I want to bring us to this last sentence again. He says, use your heads. Use your intelligence on this. Let's let's try to understand something. You know perfectly well that the Spirit of God would never prompt anyone to say, Jesus, be cursed. Seems pretty self-evident. Would you agree? Nor... Would anyone be inclined to say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it means to be spiritual? From a biblical definition, it means to have the Holy Spirit. That sounds pretty self-evident, doesn't it? But not everyone has the Holy Spirit, mind you. Not everyone has the Holy Spirit, no, no matter how inspired, enthused, emotional, successful, or powerful they might be. Make no mistake, the Holy Spirit is working on everyone, calling everyone, reaching out to everyone, but that is different than having him having him inside of you, being filled with him. What it means from a biblical point of view, from Jesus' point of view, to be spiritual is to have the Holy Spirit. And how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit? You proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's as simple as that. Because what the Holy Spirit fundamentally does is lead you to Jesus. It's fascinating to me that the Holy Spirit is on every page of the Bible from Genesis 1 verse 2 to Revelation chapter 22. I dare you to try to turn a page in your Bible without finding the Spirit of God mentioned. And despite it, do you notice how he's always behind the scenes? He's never what you'd call a lead player. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He leads you to Jesus. Jesus. The Holy Spirit understands his work is leading you to Jesus. And you can know that you are spiritual if you believe in him. That doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? It doesn't sound very exciting or glamorous or sexy, if you will. No, 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 I want to feel great. I want to be lifted up. I want to be ecstatic. I want to be gifted in some powerful kind of way. I want to move mountains. That's the Spirit. That's not what Paul says. No one would ever say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. And to Paul, that's what it means to be spiritual. But it's so easy to be captured by all other kinds of spirituality. Now today, I'm not going to take you deep into the culture of Corinth. At 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, we're doing just that, giving you some understanding of the context, the you, the backdrop, the history in which this letter is being written, which brings so many of these words to life. But what I'm going to do for you today is give you a teaser, a little bit of a taste, if you will, of the spirituality that Corinth was offering. Take a look.
1: Hello, world travelers. I'm Marty Brown, ambassador of the city of Corinth, the city of glitz and glamour, where the rich come to play and the parents say, stay away. It's no wonder we are called the Eye of Greece. Whatever your reason for visiting, remember one thing, our slogan, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. While you're here, be sure to check out the Temple of Aphrodite. Over a thousand shrine prostitutes are waiting to meet your every need. If that form of spirituality is not to your liking, we have many other shrines you can visit. Apollo, Athena, Serapis, or even the Emperor. You could say we're the spiritual center of the empire. Here, you can be spiritual any way you want. If you want to get rich, you've come to the right place. Corinth has one gift to give, money. Strike your fortune, win it big. There's no greater gift that the gods have to give. Come and play or live and stay. Get Corinthianized. I'm Marty Brown, and remember, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. <laughs>
0: One person is getting half hearted <laughs> What I love about that video is, after watching, like, the Galatian News, where, like, Matt is playing, of course, like, you know, the news reporter, like, how sleazy he captured the role, you know? If you can imagine Vegas, Singapore, Bangkok, you understand Corinth perfectly. A place that was offering power and fame, wealth and pleasure in the name of spirituality. To be spiritual is to look like this. To be spiritual is evidenced if I have this. To be spiritual and blessed by the gods is to see it evidenced in all kinds of pleasure and prosperity that I am able to enjoy in my life. Who doesn't at some level chase after these kinds of things? And who at some level does not equate them with being blessed. Oh, maybe not in the exact same fashion, maybe not by the same interpretation, but in general terms, how many of us don't want the Spirit of God to make our lives better? The way of Jesus is often different than that. It's no mistake that Jesus was born into abject humility that Jesus lived unknown for most of his life in poverty that Jesus died shamefully I want to share a passage with you earlier in 1 Corinthians that talks about exactly this Paul writes, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world. He chose the foolish things to shame the wise. The weak things to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. So let he who boasts boast in the Lord. That the Holy Spirit has a very different agenda than what the popular forms of spirituality both then and now are promising. And what 1 Corinthians 12 through 15 is going to unpack for us is exactly what that spirituality entails, what it means to live by the Spirit. Paul goes on. He writes, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Have you ever heard of the word charisma? Have you ever heard of a charismatic? 12 verse 4, there are different kinds of charismas, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of charismas. Charismas. Back in the 70s and 80s, Christians liked to divide and debate over who is charismatic and who is not charismatic. Fortunately, at least from my vantage point, I don't see those divisions as strong today. But back then, it basically meant this who is filled in a spectacular way with spectacular gifts of the Spirit and says that these gifts are what we should seek versus those who don't? And by extension, which are the churches that live filled with an energy, if you will, or an excitement or a feeling of the spirit, and which are those that don't? Those of you who grew up in this church tradition, you can guess what side of the fence the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod fell on (laughs) in that one. In many ways to their shame, but not completely. I want to break this word down for you because it's important and it's going to steer what we think about the spirit of God and spirituality. There are different kinds of charisma. When I hear the word charisma, taken out of a biblical context, what I kind of think about is just like an attribute. Those of you who play D&D, you know what I'm talking about. It's number six. Those of you who don't, just go with me. Magnetism. Influence. Attraction a way to inspire or influence others. All of these are kind of what goes into what we think of someone who has charisma, isn't it? But it's just a Greek word that means gift. Maybe a little bit more nuanced, a grace gift, because all gifts that we have are from God. It is a grace gift. But you know what's fascinating to me? Not just in this passage, but do you know how the Bible will talk about gifts? Well, after this, Paul will go on. He'll share just a few. He'll say things like this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Can I ask you, as I read that list, were there certain ones going, man, I wish I had that one? All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. All of them are charismas. All of them are spiritual gifts. But the Bible doesn't stop there. If you read the Bible, it goes on further. Do you know what else it talks about as a spiritual gift? Marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, marriage is called a charisma. A spiritual gift of God. You don't have to raise your hand, but who of you here are married? That what you have is a gift of God. Now I know that some of you are doubting that right now. (laughs) And if you are, listen all the more. What you have is truly a gift of God. It is a charism from him. Those of you who want to be married, you're yearning for a gift of God. But in First Corinthians seven, do you know what Paul also calls a spiritual gift? Celibacy. Who wants that one? <laughs> Those of you who are celibate, and likely struggling with it. Paul says it's a gift of God. It is a gift of God. It is a different gift of God. Do you do you see how you can't really have both gifts? How one gift kind of even disqualifies the other gift. And I would say that one isn't even better than the other, though Paul would say on the side, well, I think the celibacy thing's better. I'm a little, little freer to do the Lord's work. That guy got burned by a girl. to praise God for the gift he has given us as opposed to the gift we think we're supposed to have or what the gift we think is supposed to look like. God manifests his spirit and therefore spirituality in a multiplicity of ways. The Bible itself will even call salvation a charisma, a gift of God, which means, broadly speaking, every Christian is a charismatic because every Christian has received the gift of the Spirit and through him, the gifts of God. And Paul will say that there are different kinds, all spiritual, all of the Spirit, different kinds of service, but the same Lord working them, different kinds of working, different kinds of, here's, here's the next Greek word, Energema, energema, energey. You hear an English word in there? The same kinds of energy, but all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. The Holy Spirit works. He does something, he gives power, grace is power. Grace is the power of God. It is the energy of God that he gives alive and at work in you. It makes me think of something that Jesus once said. It was on Monday, Thursday, where he was gathered with his disciples and he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, right? And the branches come out of the vine. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's always fun. struck me as fascinating because obviously they could do something. People do something all the time who aren't in Jesus. I see people who weren't in Jesus all the time walking, talking, eating, many who are successful in life and doing all kinds of hosts of other things, both good and bad. So he can't be meaning, they can't do like anything, like I'm just like catatonic, frozen. He's got to mean something else instead. And I love that vine branch metaphor. I think what Jesus is saying is I'm the power source. The Holy Spirit is the plug. He's the wire that leads to you. In my back pocket, I've got a wonderful device. I love this thing. I imagine if my phone had a mind, if it could get cocky. Because watch this and it's connected to nothing. I wonder if my phone could think that it could do just well on its own, be vital and alive, filled with energy of its own power. But do you know what happens to this thing, especially if I have Wi-Fi and location turned on? You know what happens to this thing. It dies. It runs out of juice. It needs to be hooked in. Otherwise, it can do nothing except maybe to hold my paper in place on a windy day. Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There is so much that I want to talk to you about regarding spirituality, and these next several weeks will do just that. But today, I think it's well enough to leave it here and to simply leave you with the encouragement that to be spiritual is to be in Jesus, that he is the source, the strength, the power, and the flow through the Spirit of God, of what it means to be a living spiritual being. And the rest of this letter of Corinthians is going to show us how to tap into that.